Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gates true open wide. He will wash away my sins. Let this little child come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. tells me so. Jesus, take this heart of mine, make it pure and holy thine. On the cross you died for me. Mark 14, 32 to 38, from the King James Version. And they came to a place which, is, which was named Gethsemane. And he said, saith to his disciples, Set you here, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry you here, and watch. And he went forward a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. 
And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watcheth one hour? Watch you and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And may the Lord add his blessings to it. I guess I don't have to worry about you being asleep right now, right? Well, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pause just now, ask for your blessing. I pray, Lord, that you'll open your holy word to us. I pray, Lord, that you will enlighten our minds, Lord, that we might understand your truths. And I pray, Lord, that you might enlighten our hearts, that we might follow you. Lord, give us the strength to have the faith of Jesus in these days. We need it. So, Lord, I pray that through the example of your Son, we might be inspired and motivated to follow you more more closely and to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, happy Passover or Easter or however you'd like to refer to this time of year. This, uh, for Christianity, this is one of the big two, right? Of Easter and you have Christmas. Those are the two, seems like uh, times of year, the church, even those who aren't frequently, thank you, aren't frequently in it, attend church. Now, I know and understand, and I'm going to get into this, that Easter has its pagan origins, and that God has given us another way, according to Scripture, in creating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is baptism. But we're not here to discuss all that this morning. We're here to discuss and understand the price that Christ was willing to pay for us so that we might have eternal life. Well, let me set the stage for you just a little bit. And I'd like to ask you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. For most of you, this should be a very familiar text. Revelation 14. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Revelation 14, beginning with verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, talking about this time of year and the events surrounding Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you might be asking, well, Pastor, why did you read that text? And I want to draw your attention here to verse 
10, where it says, He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. Now, the, the, the scriptures tell us in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? I said all have fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Maybe it's just me. So why would I mention this when I talk about Christ? Because the, if you notice, the title of the sermon today is God's wrath poured out on Christ. What was Jesus sent here for? Jesus was sent here, my friends, to die the death that we deserve, that we might have eternal life in him. You see, Jesus' death didn't begin on the cross. For eternal life didn't begin at the cross. It began in Gethsemane, my friends. Christ would be required to pay the penalty of sin for us. How much sin? All the sin of the whole world for all of eternity. That from, from creation and, uh, until eternity. All of that sin, Christ would pay the price for. So Christ was about to receive the wrath of God in full measure, without dilution. Now if we go back to Mark. We set the stage just a little bit more for the events of Gethsemane. Just one week earlier in this, what's referred to as Holy Week by many, the events there in Jerusalem were much different from the events that would take place after just on the, a week before, rode into Jerusalem on a colt with the people of Jerusalem laying out their garments in front of him and waving palm branches, singing hosannas and hallelujahs to him who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is him who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus entered into the city that week, my friends, as a king's entrance. They believed that this was Jesus' triumphal entry, that he was going to reestablish the kingdom of Jerusalem and Israel. Jesus will. And in just the course of one week, as we discussed in the Sabbath school lesson this morning, things changed, didn't they? In the course of that week, Jesus goes through some horrific experiences and he prepares to die for humanity. He takes his disciples to the upper room. It, by the way, this was the Passover celebration that they were celebrating. That doesn't always coincide with Easter, by the way. And this wasn't the first time that he was there celebrating the Passover with his disciples. In fact, this was the third time. But this time would be very different 
from the times before. He would take the Passover celebration and transform it. And it would become communion. And as he was there celebrating this with his disciples, one of his disciples was sent off to do what it was that he was planning. And Jesus rose from that place with his disciples. And he went out into a place called Gethsemane with his disciples and and said to them, sit here until I have prayed. You know, there's so much more that takes place between when he left the upper room until he got to Gethsemane. Jesus started to experience and feel his humanity in a very real and, and, and very powerful way. And what is written in the voice... The spirit of prophecy is that as Jesus was trotting his way from there into the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that he had found refuge and peace in so many times with his disciples, his footsteps were heavy. And instead of the the light spirit that he had before going to this place, a feeling of joy It it eluded him that day. His heart sank deeper and deeper, and his disciples had never seen him this way in the three and a half years that they had ministered with him. He makes his way to Gethsemane, feeling the burden of humanity. What I mean by that is that he knew and understood the price he was going to have to pay. You know, it's told to us through God's Spirit that Jesus could not see past the portal of the tomb. All of this weighed heavily upon him as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if any of you have experienced difficulties in your life, any hardships or or hard times, difficult spiritual places that you've entered into. Or maybe, maybe your, experience, your spiritual experience has just been a high the whole way. Is that, is that the case? Or maybe your experience is more like mine. It ebbs and flows. You have spiritual highs and you sink to the depths of despair. It was in this despair where his... by his humanity. The pay weighed heavily upon him. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that when I'm facing difficult times, it's a little easier when you have love and support of your friends around you. Is that the case for you? I hope it is. I hope you have those that will be around you and support you through the difficult times of your life. I don't know what hardships you might be facing today. But that's what Jesus' experience was. His experience was that he needed his followers, his closest friends, to come around him and support him. Now Jesus gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he tells his disciples, the entire group that is, except for three, to stay here, and wait while I go over 
about a stone's throw away and pray. And he takes three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, if you know anything about his character, he's, very, he's known to be impetuous. But he takes these three him, and he goes off a little distance, and he asks them to stay there as he goes off a little further. As here in verse 34, he said to them, my to the point of death, remain here and keep watch. What was he hoping they would be doing, my friends? He was hoping exactly. He was hoping that that they would be there and they would enter into earnest prayer and intercede on his behalf. My friends, today I'm here to tell you that intercessory prayer still works. When we do it. Amen? That's the thing about intercessory prayer. If that's for me, I'm not here. Intercessory prayer is an intervening force that God provides for us. Now, there was a study. There was a study several years ago, and they, they had a, a, a group of individuals that were, were in the hospital ill, and they were doing some research on prayer, and they took half of the group, and these people were prayed for, And the other group, they were prayed for as well. The other half of the group. The first group knew. And the second group, or the other half of the group, did not know that they were being prayed for. And the study showed that those who knew that they were being prayed for recovered more quickly than people who were not prayed for. But the study also showed that those who didn't even know that they were being prayed for also recovered more quickly than those who were not prayed for. So intercessory prayer, my friends, does work. Christ was hoping that his closest friends and companions, those who he surrounded himself with that were most intimately familiar with him during this difficult time, that he was facing, would draw up strength and prayer for him. So he goes off just a little beyond them, and he fell on the ground. And he began to pray. And Ellen White tells us that he laid on the ground prostrate, and he grabbed and clutched the ground as if he were trying to prevent himself from getting any further away from the Father. You see, for the first time in his existence from eternity past, he had never been separated from God the Father. And here in his garden experience, he begins to feel that separation from him in a very real way. His flesh, his he cries out. And he falls prostrate on the ground. 
And he began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass by him. This is his humanity crying out, my friends. I don't know about you, but when I've faced difficulties in my life, I have prayed and asked God to please take them away. Am I alone, or have you done that as well? We oftentimes do that, don't we? Ask for God to intervene on our behalf. And his humanity felt that. He cried out for this to pass. And in verse 36, he said that he was saying, Abba. This is the word Papa. Daddy. Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. Jesus cried out, Papa, Daddy, please. Please help me. I don't know if I can do this. Help. I need your strength. I need you now more than ever. And I don't know whose sacrifice was larger when it comes to the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus or the Father. How difficult it must have been for God the Father that as his son cried out to him for help, had to turn away from him. Because this is my, what happens, my friends, when we sin. This is what sin causes, is a separation from God. Their relationship had never experienced this before. And in agony and in and despondency, Christ calls out, Papa, Daddy, please help me. And he asked for this cup, this cup of his father's wrath which was poured out full strength for humanity to be taken away from him. But thank God, thank God he found the strength. Because if he had refused to drink this cup, we would have to drink it, my friends. And for those who reject Christ and his sacrifice, they will drink it for themselves. But the good news in this weekend, for all of eternity, is that Christ has done this for us because of his great love. He poured himself out for us. He was willing to endure what it is that we deserve to face. And in his humanity, he cries out, please remove this cup. what you will. You see, from the very beginning, before the plans to create this planet were even laid out, and before there was ever a person created here, the Godhead came together and they formulated a plan. When we create humanity, if they sin, what will we do? 
And when that plan was formed, Christ volunteered, my friends, Christ volunteered to come here and to die for you and for me. And after that experience, he rises up and it says that he came and found them sleeping. And he said to them, Peter, are you asleep? He was hoping and praying when he asked them to stay there and pray that he knew that they would come under attack. You see, the devil, my friends, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, that might not mean much to you and I here in America. But my friends, I've been places in the world where the thought and idea of a lion pursuing you sends shivers up the spines of the bravest of men. This is a five to 600 pound cat with the keen sense of smell, hearing. One with claws this long and teeth near that can take down a man without even a moment's hesitation. And that's exactly what the devil is, my friend. The devil desires to have you, just like he desired to have Peter and to sift you. But what do lions prey upon, my friends? What is it that lions seek out when they're on the hunt? They focus on the young, they focus on the sick, and they focus on the old. Now, there's none of those here, right? Let me tell you about another animal, though. Let me tell you about the muskox. Maybe you've never heard of this animal. It looks similar to a buffalo. It's about the same size. Having two sharp horns on their head. And when the wolves, not the lions, but the wolves, start tracking the, them, and they, they, uh, they are alerted to the, the presence of the wolves, you know what they do? They have a very particular behavior. And that behavior is that they will herd all into a, a, a group, and then the adults will stand with their rumps towards the young ones, and their horns facing out in a circle around them. So all the adults have encompassed the little ones with their horns facing out. And the message is, if you want them, you got to come through me. How different would the church be if that's what we did? You see, my friend, the gathering of ourselves together is, is not just for our own edification and support, but it is to support one another. As we come together in this community of faith, God has called upon us that when we, we are raising up our young ones, that we protect them. 
When there's one among us that's sick, we come to their aid. And when there's one that's, that's old and dying and weak, that we come and strengthen them. Amen? You cannot be a lone ranger Christian. So Christ comes back to his disciples, hoping that they were not only praying for, for him, but they were praying for themselves, that the devil might not have his way with them. And he says to Peter, are you asleep? Now, just shortly prior to this, all of the disciples had declared that, Lord, whatever comes, we'll go through it with you, even if it means going to our deaths. That was Peter's. Even if the rest of these disciples abandon you, I won't. I'll be with you all the way to death. That was his bold proclamation. So you can understand why Christ might be questioning Peter. Peter, I've asked you to stay here and pray, and I come back and I find you asleep. You know, it wasn't just one time that he did that. He came back a second time, and you know what, the, what he found the second time? They're asleep again. He went off, and he, and he poured himself out, and he prayed so earnestly that he started pouring great drops of blood out of his skin. Have you ever wrestled with sin that, that fervently? Jesus did. And in this state, he comes back, hoping to find his disciples praying for him, and they're asleep again. You know, in the spirit of prophecy, when it talks about this, it talks about heaven looking down upon Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, seeing the disciples asleep, Jesus agonizing over us, wrestling and struggling with his own humanity. And it says that when the angels looked down, you know what they saw? They saw Jesus in the garden there, and they saw the devil and his angels surrounding Jesus. He was under attack, my friends. He was under a, an attack that I could not endure, nor, nor could you. All of the forces of evil were pressing down upon him. And his disciples had already abandoned him. They had fallen asleep when they should have been up praying. The one who took Lucifer's place, see Lucifer used to be the covering cherub in heaven, and when he was kicked out, another angel took his place, came down and strengthened Christ. Can you say amen to that? You see, even in the depths of your despair, in, in, the, in the deepest part of your agony, God has not abandoned you. It doesn't matter, my friends, what you're facing, what your difficulty is, 
what hardship you're going through, God, my friends, has not abandoned you. Even though all of humanity may have abandoned you, God has not. He loves you with an everlasting love. He desires that you should be in his kingdom, not only today, but forever. He says, Jesus says these words in verse 38, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation is willing, but the flesh is weak. My friends, that's true of all of us from time to time, is it not? We should pray earnestly and frequently that God would deliver us from temptation. We're all subject to it, are we not? You know, it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's a sin to get Pray that God can deliver you from temptation. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them asleep. And their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. My friends, we jokingly call ourselves the Laodicean Church. The Laodicean Church, my friends, was asleep. Let's not be asleep any longer, shall we? The time for us to awaken is now. It's too late for us to be sleeping. And he went on to say, Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And the last act that takes place in the garden before he's taken away to be um, judged in a, in a kangaroo court and, and later crucified is that the palace guards, the Roman soldiers, the Pharisees, and Judas come into the garden and as they face him, as they face him, He says that immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who had betrayed him had given them a signal, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. My friends, you cannot be betrayed by an enemy. You can only be betrayed by a friend. It takes a relationship for betrayal to take place. And let's not be a Judas, shall we? But let's be like Christ. Let's cry out to the Lord to give us strength in these last days. Strength to take us through to the end. 
Strength for us to overcome whatever it is, whatever challenges we're facing, whatever difficulties may, may be in our lives. Let us not forget that Christ died for us to, to be overcomers. And that all of heaven is waiting to come and help you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to contemplate for our salvation. Help us to, to see a clear picture, Lord, of what, what Christ was willing to go through that we might have salvation and eternal life. And I pray, Lord, that we would be eternally grateful, that we would never lose sight of what our salvation costs. Let us never do anything to cheapen it. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.